to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Dell. We're here to break down K-State's 22-17 loss on the road uh, in the 40 acres down in Austin, Texas, in a game that K-State probably feels that they should have won uh, when they look back at it. Uh, definitely had their opportunities, uh, but they come up short and end their regular season at 7-5. and five. Uh, of course, we'll also we didn't we didn't get uh, a chance to come to you last week. We'll uh, of course maybe give our thoughts, uh, maybe not as much detail here on the uh, on the Baylor game, which K State uh, also dropped uh, twenty to ten. But uh, D. Lou, what K State fans, uh, you know, three weeks ago were looking at this as an opportunity, maybe to finish up uh, a season that could result in ten wins. Uh, now they're going to have to sell for a 7-5 uh, into the regular season, which, you know, when we did our preseason predictions, we had K-State going 8-4. and four. So they ch- they check in a game under that. But uh, still, all in all, probably, probably can be looked at as a relatively successful season. But uh, certainly had the opportunity for more here in the last couple games in K-State uh, is going to try to get uh, put a kind of a nice uh, – Cherry on top of the season here with a nice bowl win uh, here, which we'll all find out uh, where their destination will be sometime next week. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a lot to like uh, about K State season this year, but losing uh, the last two in the, in the fashion we did, where yeah. the offense just really struggled in, in both of those games, um, is going to leave a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths after the regular season as we head into the bowl game. I, mean, I know a lot of K-State fans are frustrated, um, you know, especially after the Texas game, uh, a game that K-State really, I think, is probably the better team. Um, but on Saturday, they certainly weren't, um, and that's just a product of the totally, completely uh, uninspired offensive performance on Saturday. Yeah, and we'll get into more of that performance, but... Before we get uh, too deep into that uh, Texas game, let's uh, let's talk about something near and dear to both of our hearts, Dell. Beer, and that's beer. Yeah, and uh, that's not only just beer, but it's the beer that our our friends over at Manhattan Brewing Company uh, yeah. brew for us here. Not only just for us, but for for all, really. That's right. And you know, so I want to tell you a little bit about our friends over there at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, Manhattan Brewing Company, located at 406 Points Avenue in Manhattan. Their bre- motto over there at Manhattan Brewing Company is simple. It's we brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. Tremendous selection of beers on tap over there at Manhattan Brewing Company uh, with over 15 beers on tap, all of which brewed in-house. There's something to be uh, to be had for any beer drinker. Uh, that uh, that that finds their way uh, into Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, they they provide a great atmosphere, family friendly atmosphere uh, to be able to uh, enjoy a couple beers. Whether if it's uh, the Townie, a wheat brew with Citra hops, or the Conservation Kolsch, a light in color and body beer with a slightly fruity aroma and taste. Those are two of their better, two of their best ones, Dell. They're all good. Yeah. But you you've had a Conservation Kolsch. No, I have not. Oh, they they they, uh, they you, you had something different. I had I went there prior to the Baylor game. Yeah, it was a beautiful afternoon. Went and saw our friends over at Manhattan Brewery right off Points in downtown. There, walked right in. Uh, it was great atmosphere. Watched the Texas West Virginia game for a little bit there. Yeah, and and me and the misses, we we had a couple. Well, I had a couple Belgian blondes. Yeah, 
Um, I forget what what Miss Allison had, but all in all, it was great. The Belgian Blonde was terrific. It, it tasted like a nice uh, farmhouse sort of thing. And, okay, uh, fantastic. So um, I liked it. it it's great. A, it's a great. It's a great bar. Great beer. Uh, and a great place to watch a game. Well, I wanted to uh, to put you uh, you know. To, to give that review because I know you had the opportunity to go there and you know had me and the uh, missus had the opportunity to go uh, several times after games so glad to hear that you uh, had an enjoyable experience as well so folks if you're in the same uh, boat here over the uh, the holiday season if you're looking for a place just to grab a beer maybe catch a game no better place than Manhattan Brewing Company that's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue in Manhattan so uh, want to, of course, uh, give them a shout-out, uh, of course, uh, with the holiday season. Uh, got a lot of holiday beers, so be uh, tuned to their Instagram and uh, their website uh, for uh, for more details on, on some of the new beers that they're going to be rolling out and some of the specials that they're going to have. Uh, of course, you can find them uh, on their website, www.mhkbeer.com, and, of course, on Instagram, at Manhattan Brewing, and on Twitter, at Manhattan Brew. So, Lots, uh, lots of things to keep track of there, but uh, definitely go in and give those folks, uh, give those folks a hello for us. Yeah, and when you go in there, find the bartender, get right in his or her face, say, "Hey, the icon sent me." That's right. <laughs> tell, tell them I sent you. The, yeah. the, uh, so, well, let's go ahead and get into this Texas game. Um, I don't really think we need to talk a whole lot about the Baylor game. That's kind of ancient history at this point, but. You know, by talking about the Texas game, you can almost kind of really hit on the Baylor game, too, in the same point. Defense plays well enough for K-State to win. Offense just can't get anything going. And the story is really the same for both of those games. You know, in the game against Texas here, you know, K-State loses at 22-17. Defense did not play particularly well in the first half. Uh, Texas was able to move the ball pretty pretty easily at, at times. But, you know, really when you look at it, defense played more than well enough to win. The story of the day really is just offensive ineffectiveness and especially coming up short on third and fourth down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that, that was really the story of the game. I mean, K-State uh, just wasn't able to consistently move the ball enough. We, we've seen enough of these games over the last two years where Will Howard uh, takes over, and it just seems like it's a completely different offense. I mean, you know, the the Baylor uh, game for K-State left a lot to be desired um, from the passing game, certainly. Uh, one of Skyler's worst performances of the season and of the last two years. Um, but uh, the Texas game, it there was such a reticence by the K-State coaching staff to even tried to ask him to do very much um, from the quarterback spot. And when your offense is that one-dimensional and, and you just pose no threat uh, in the passing game at all, um, it puts a lot of pressure on the running game. Now, K-State, to their credit, I mean, when everybody on earth knew they were going to run, K-State still ran it at a pretty darn good clip. I mean, Deuce runs for 143 yards on 24 carries. Obviously, Will Howard had a long one, a nice run by Knowles. Um, but when your offense is that one-dimensional and you're having to stay ahead of the sticks that consistently, um, it really puts a strain on things. And where I think K-State really got in trouble in the second half is diverging too much from the running game. I mean, you look at the third-quarter play count, 
And, you know, that's when K-State's things kind of fell off the rails for K-State. And K-State was really getting in trouble when they were getting away from the Deuce Vaughn running game um, or taking penalties, getting behind the sticks and getting off schedule. I, I get the feeling that had K-State just said, listen, there's only one thing that's been working today, and that is putting the ball in the stomach of Deuce Vaughn. Or putting the ball in the stomach of Deuce Vaughn and taking it out and having Howard well, run. Well, Howard run it, yeah. Um, but then we try to get too cute. You you, you try to uh, kind of integrate some of these more exotic running plays, whether it was that Philip Brooks jet sweep yeah. or, or yeah. stuff like quarterback draws that weren't working. Um, or, or just trying to throw the ball, which was um, a pretty tough task uh, on Saturday for K-State's offense. All in all, it resulted in K-State just being unable to move the ball consistently, and when push came to shove and, and K-State was having to convert on some sh- third and shorts, fourth and shorts, K-State just wasn't able to, to do it at all, and that's really what hamstrung K-State's offense in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really the the story of the game. You know, one thing I want to talk about uh, before I get into the offense is let's talk a little K-State defense real quick. You know, K-State's first half uh, defensively, not really – they they got the big play on on Texas' second drive with the interception. Uh, But when when Texas on on two of their first three drives uh, moved the ball down in very methodical fashion, taking – Five minutes on the first drive and a little over six minutes on the second drive, uh, resulting in touchdowns on, on both uh, on both of those drives. That really had me kind of concerned because I mean, with with Roshan Johnson just ripping off, you know, four or five, six yards of carry seemingly, and not really being able to be brought down with even just one guy throughout the throughout the afternoon. Uh, K State's defense gives up two hundred nine yards rushing. Uh, really, when I look at what they did in terms of ground game, this and the Iowa State game were the two worst ones that jumped to mind uh, for me in terms of what the defense showed. But overall, the defense gave them a chance there at the end of the game, and uh, you know, unfortunately, the offense just couldn't carry their own 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 uh, weight. But wanted to mention two guys that I thought played particularly good games: Daniel Green uh, at the linebacker position. Uh, you know. He was active out there uh, with with Texas really being focused on running the ball. Uh, no surprise that he ended up having uh, 11 tackles, 10 of which were solo, uh, and also a, a, a tackle for loss. Uh, another guy, too, I say his name every week, Reggie Stubblefield. Just yeah. get, getting in there and busting up plays uh, for a guy that is you know maybe 5'10 on a good day. He, he plays a whole lot bigger than he is. Uh, unfortunately... You know, for for K State, they just quite weren't quite able to get maybe that second big uh, stop or second big turnover uh, of the game. Uh, you know, they got that big, they got the interception on the second drive for Texas, but weren't weren't able to force a, another big turnover or maybe generate some offense for themselves a little bit. Uh, but defense certainly didn't play a, a great game, but certainly played well enough for K State to have a chance here. I thought the defense played really well, actually. I mean. When you look at the final score and you see seventeen to twenty-two, I mean, in Big Twelve play twenty-two, yep. holding the opposition to second half was points second half was really enough. good. Yeah, yeah, second half was really good, especially when you consider that one of Texas, one three of Texas's six points in the second half came on the short field after the 
turnover on downs where Texas got the ball at K-State's 30-yard line. I mean, asking K-State's defense to prevent points there, especially when Texas has a good kicker, is, is asking a lot, and holding them to three points is about the best you can do there. Um, first half, like you said, it, it was a little dodgy. Texas came out really with purpose in the power running game, especially with the Wildcat, which I think caught K-State a little by surprise. I've, I haven't watched a lot of Texas, but I, I don't know that they've been running a ton of Wildcat this season. Um, and K-State, for its part, tried to do the same, but wasn't near as effective. Yeah, they need to house that play deep in the playbook. Yeah, I, I'm not sure um, the Wildcat with a diminutive little guy like Deuce is is the best option. But nonetheless, um, no, I thought the defense played yeah, pretty darn well, especially in the second half. Um, like I, and like I said, at the end of the day, 22 points, it's that should be low enough to outscore. Yep, absolutely. So. No question about that. Uh, let's let's really just focus down on the offense. Because yeah. that's really where mm-hmm. this game was lost for K-State. Will Howard starts. Uh, Skylar Thompson suited up. And, you know, i seen some of the uh, reports before the game. It sounded like there was certainly a chance that he would be, uh, be the guy on Saturday. Uh, but it was Will Howard uh, wire to wire at the quarterback position. Uh, I feel relatively comfortable that... I say that, but you know, Will Howard did have the big run. But I say relatively comfortably, if K State just gets maybe fifty percent of Skylar Thompson, that game probably looks a little bit different uh, in some of what K State's able to do. Assuming that he can still throw the ball a little bit, uh, because that would have really helped out K State's uh, K State's balance, K State's ability to to free up uh, some of the uh, attention in the run game that uh, that they saw a lot of. Uh, but no, uh, no, um, no, Skylar Thompson. Also, no Joe Irvin. Uh, he's in the transfer portal. He'll yeah. be transferring away from every day. Joe, uh, no longer, no longer, uh, part time Joe now. Actually, yeah. actually, no time Joe now. Uh, yeah, but uh, highway Joe. Having having uh, Joe Irvin yesterday, or on, on, when I say yesterday, I mean you know uh, on Black Friday against Texas. That would have made it, that would have helped, uh, giving K State a little bit more options in the run game. But uh, really, when you uh, talk about this game, it's going to come down to the final two possessions. Well, two of the final three possessions for K-State. Uh, Don't you forget, can't that, forget that, about that last. Uh, that last one was pretty crazy. Yeah, but. that last possession was really uh, a, a, ex- not a, quite exactly a film study in exactly what you want to do in, in a hurry-up offense, is it? No. No. Um, Spiking the ball in the last play of the game usually isn't um, what you look for in well, that situation. Yeah. I don't know if the clock on the TV was they, you know, different or not. I have to say, Texas had a pretty friendly hometown operator <laughs> on, the, on the scoreboard. They, they blew it dead. Clock Wait, operator. They're still... Yeah, the refs are like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. A far cry from the uh, hustle we saw in the first half. At the end of the first half, there where they were getting the uh, yeah field goal unit lined up no, pretty darn quick. That's a great point. That's a really good point. But, yeah, the far cry from that for sure. Um, but okay, last two drives, right? It's the exact same situation on both. One K State's down a little bit further down the field than the other, but really pretty much the same situation. K State third and one, or third in. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe both instances were third and one. Yeah. So in in the first one, uh, 
Deuce got a run for five yards on second down to bring it to third and one yep. at the K-State 30-yard line. And then uh, down when we were close, knocking on the door at the Texas 17-yard line, also a uh, third and one there as well. And that was actually, um, yeah. And so really there were four downs over the last two drives. Third and fourth down were both third and one, fourth and one. So with these possessions, I, I'm standing there watching. I'm watching the game with my family, and I'm 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 watching, and I say, "All right, third and one. This is kind of a free play to do whatever, you know, because you're you're going to go for it anyway." But on fourth and one, how do you not just run a quarterback sneak under center? Either that, or just maybe a lead blocker might be good. Yeah, I just I don't overthink it, and you know what? Honestly, it's probably the right decision to just go ahead because at this point in the game, you're you're, you're really just we need to keep we need a fresh set of downs. We need to keep the chains moving. Uh, let's just go ahead and maybe go right at our center um, and, and just pick up the first down. You've got a six three quarterback, six four quarterback, two hundred forty two hundred thirty five pounds, whatever he is. Yeah, six four two thirty five. Um. He can get three feet. You think just, so? Just falling forward. Yeah. And you know, it, it, if they are able to convert on that first, um, on that first, uh, you know, fourth, fourth and fourth and one, they're probably in a in a position to really kind of make it really a another possession game for 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 Texas at that point. And what I mean by that is they really. I mean, if they go down and let's say they don't just go three and out after that and punt, but they might really kind of put Texas in a tough position where Texas might only get the ball one more time uh, with with the way the clock's set. Now. Right, yeah. So it, it certainly could have really put the screws on on Texas had they picked up that uh, picked up that fourth down and had moved the chains and it maybe got either a field goal or a touchdown. Now, granted, that didn't happen. So – K-State has to give the ball back to Texas at the 30-yard line. Defense makes a big stand here. And uh, they, they're able to get the ball back with, um, with seven minutes left, down by five, where they get the ball down again. And uh, this is the same story on third down. Third down, they run Deuce Vaughn out of the Wildcat. No dice. Fourth down, they run a wide side option. Don't love that. I think maybe sure. run that to the other side, boys. Maybe to the other side, yes. And there is, I think, some opening on that option play. Yeah. And uh, but Will Howard doesn't get the pitch off and loses three yards, three four yards, and that's essentially the game. How many speed options has Will Howard run in in live games? Not many. Skyler was running a few. Um, you know, especially. That was a play that we like to run quite a bit in 2019, if I recall, under Kleiman with Thompson back there. Not as often this year, um, although you, you saw it some. But Will Howard, I, I just can't recall very many plays um, either last year when he was playing a lot or during the Nevada or SIU or Oklahoma State game where, where I saw him run very many options. And so that was, I mean... You know, in one respect, it's a. From one perspective, it's a decent play call because you know there's not a lot of film of Howard running the option. It may have catch, caught Texas off 
off guard a little bit. And if Howard pitches that ball and Deuce scatters to the end zone, which very possible, yep. then we're all praising Mess and saying, boy, what a genius. Um, on the other end, it didn't work out. Yeah, Howard and, made that's the, what, and that's not what we're doing. Yeah, Howard made the wrong read and uh, didn't pitch it or wasn't comfortable pitching it or whatever. But um, nonetheless, it, it got smoked and, and K-State found themselves having to give the ball away um, to Texas with about uh, four minutes on the clock left and Texas was basically able to salt the game away. Yeah, I don't know how you run the Wildcat on third down either with Deuce Vaughn when it hasn't worked really all season and certainly hadn't worked on Saturday. Well, we didn't. I think Saturday was like the first time we'd run. I think that was relatively new. I I don't recall us running Deuce out of the Wildcat at all this season. I seem to remember maybe a different circumstance as well, but it it had. Either way, whether whether or not I'm misremembering or whether if. Friday was the only example of that. Uh, it, it was not a fruitful endeavor for K-State running Deuce Vaughn out, out of the Wildcat. And, you know, really it shouldn't be. Like, it makes it doesn't really make sense running him out of the Wildcat. No. Well, because with, like, take a guy like Daniel Thomas, for instance. Yeah. Big guy. Yeah. Powerful running back. Also played quarterback in junior college. Yeah. Not the craziest thought in the world that, you know, if just you, ask, the, if you just ask out, the Oklahoma defense about it. Yeah, if you sell out to stop a guy like Daniel Thomas, you're in a little bit of trouble. But nobody in their right mind thought Deuce would was actually throw any ball. threat to pass. No, and there's no lead blocker for him, and he's also starting there's five no, yards behind there's the line of scrimmage. And if I remember right, there's no like motion on that on that play. No, it's snap the ball to Deuce and run forward. But if any offensive lineman up front gets beat. And is able to tackle Deuce, then it's game play, over. Play sunk, and and that's exactly what happened. Um, so let's we don't we can sit here all day and belabor the fact that uh, it was a terrible play call on both of those situations going out of the Wildcats uh, on, on those two possessions. But you know it is what it is. Game's over now. So let's look at kind of the bigger problem. There's been all sorts of uh, discussion and uh, angst, I think, is a good term to use. Yeah, in, in the fan base about the future of what K State's going to do offensively. Dell, I'm going to just ask you point blank. I'm going to be, I'm going to be straight up with you, amigo. Should Courtney Messingham be the offensive coordinator moving forward for Kansas State? I, I don't know that there's been a bigger defender of Courtney this, Messingham. I was going to say. Like, I, I don't know if there has been. And I feel like I've been pretty fair to mess. But these last two games have me feeling that it might be time for a change. Well, what say you? It's crazy because I thought I thought Messingham called a worse game against Baylor than he did against Texas. It's, considering the circumstances, you might be right. Um, you know, because I look at it. That coordinating, calling plays for an offense run by a quarterback that you don't trust to pass and isn't a great runner, well, there's not a lot of plays you can call there. <laughs> well, it, it's it's remarkable. Like, when we, we think about Will Howard throwing the ball, like, he doesn't look terrible in, like, kind of the quick game. Like, there, there are times where he's able to throw, like, those, uh, like, those the little bubble screens out that have some zip on it, and he gets them out pretty quick and, and somewhat in stride. Those look pretty competent. But then, like, I can't remember what the situation... He hit Howell on that one... Uh, 
you know, just essentially a, a deep curl route uh, where yeah. he was wide open. Yeah, that was uh, on the the second to last drive. Yeah, that sounds right. And um, you know that that that's good. That that was wide open. Hit him, hit him. You know, right where he needed to be. Mm-hmm. Threw threw a good ball there. But there was another uh, situation where I'm not really quite sure who he was throwing it to uh, in in what was a relatively clean pocket. I think there might have been a little bit of miscommunication. I think it was uh, Wheeler and and um, Knowles were kind of in the same spot, and the um, the uh, the ball was really not very close to either. No, uh, and and so you're you're wondering like in terms of his accuracy, it's just not there. No, and that's the that's the thing. I mean, for a long time I thought, man. Howard's got the physical tools. He he's big. He, I think he's got a good enough arm in terms of strength. And I was like, I, boy, I, I just think it's. I don't think the arm strength is very good or even really good. But it's not like it's not a huge handicap. Like, it, it, it's not very good, but it, it's. I've seen quarterbacks with worse. Like I don't know yeah. how strong of an arm Skylar Thompson truly has either. Yeah, but. All that to say, I was like, man, if he could just get confident and get an understanding of the offense and maybe just just get more comfortable back there in the pocket, then we might have a we might have a competent quarterback here. Or or we might someday. But he just needs to get it figured out between the years. But um on Saturday he was it, it was really apparent to me how um, consistently inaccurate he is throwing the ball. And in that respect, it's like, well, I don't really blame uh, the the staff for not trusting him because no I mean it's kind of on some of those services it's anybody's guess where that ball is going to go oh yeah hundred percent I mean his first uh, one of his first passes of the game on Saturday was pretty wide open not wide open but a very open enough out route that he threw like yeah it yards was, out of bounds yeah yards out of bounds and it's like what like well it's it, crazy it, and it you, looks you, like the same crap we saw against Southern Illinois when he came in where it's like what are you doing well and it's it's not even just like oh you know hey I thought the guy on, on an out route was going 15 yards or, or I thought he was going 10 yards and he only went five like he's throwing the ball so far out of bounds it, it wouldn't have been catchable if the field was another 10 yards wide yeah no it, I mean, it, it would it was not it's not even in the field of play it, it was nowhere close and so in that respect it's like yeah the game plan has to be we run the ball a lot, and that's exactly what we did on Saturday. Um, now, I think the run calls were bad a lot of times. I think, you know, on third and one, maybe line up in the I formation, and, um, I, and I'm we not get even... a lead blocker, and we just go get, we have two plays to get one yard, and let's... Two plays to get three feet. Yeah, let's let's run a sneak, let's run a lead, let's... let's there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. To me, it's quarterback sneak twice. Sure. Fine. I mean, it, it, I, I'm not even going to even try to to reinvent the wheel here. I'm just going to make the most simple call I can make and just get, get the yard and move the chain. Sure. But the game plan on Saturday was give the ball to Deuce. Yeah. Let Deuce be our offense. And philosophically, great. Do I, I, I have bones to pick in terms of particular play calls that I thought were really bad in some key moments, but fine. Baylor, on the other hand, I thought was absurd, the game plan in that game. Because for some reason, Deuce Vaughn 
11 carries for 128 yards. That's really, really good. Now he had one he had one play that went for 65 yards. But even then, he's still averaging they, over six yards a carry on this. Yeah. So, so let's try giving it to him. Um, 11 carries for 128 yards in a game where you only score 10 points should never happen. That is an absurdity that we had somebody whose plays were that efficient when we gave him the ball. And yet we were only able to muster up 10 points in the entire game and only three points in the second half. For whatever reason, we kept trying to force this passing game with Skylar Thompson, who was terrible against Baylor. Yeah. I mean, I think, and he wasn't very good against West Virginia either, but he was especially bad against Baylor. Yeah, and you know, you kind of wondered, am I game pick for that? I thought he, I thought he'd come to play on senior day. Maybe the moment was a little... Whether if he was too emotional, whether if it's just, and also too, I don't, I'm not trying. I to, think it's possible he got banged up somewhere along he, the way. He got banged, and I don't think he was playing, you know, 100 percent healthy. Also, too, Baylor's got a really good defense, and yeah. uh, so not to take any anything away from the Baylor Bears uh, as they uh, find themselves uh, in the uh, Big 12 championship game this weekend against Oklahoma State, but you know, really at the end of the day, but, but it, it, it's it, it is befuddling how Deuce Vaughn only carries the ball 11 times against a team that he's having, you know, five, six yards of carry on. Yeah. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't make, I mean, it, every time we did anything but give it to Deuce, nothing good happened. I mean, it, it was just crazy. I mean, got to be Skylar Thompson's worst game of the season against Baylor, but one of Deuce's most efficient games, if not his most efficient game. And yet we were only able to put up 10 points. Anytime you have a running back who is averaging over like 11 yards a carry, you should be able to score more than 10 points. Should be. So, um, sure should be. So that's, that's what really drove me crazy and made me start backing away from mess a little bit. It's like, just cause it's, I, I can, I can rationalize a lot of things, and I, and I have. I gave Mess the benefit of the doubt all last season when K-State's offense was bad. I said it's a miracle K-State ever scored a touchdown. I said Mess should win offense coordinator of the year just for mustering up points ever with that team last year. Um, but when you have Deuce Vaughn being as efficient as he was against Baylor, and yet your offense overall is still that bad against Baylor... Um, that to me just smells like a coach who is just trying to get too cute or just can't see what's obvious. And that is uh, one thing was working against Baylor. And why he didn't keep going back to that well time and time again is beyond me. Well, and it's even fortunate that K-State scored a touchdown that game. You'll remember the Deuce Vaughn touchdown uh, run came on the heels of Baylor being offsides uh, on a K-State punt. So... Uh, without the uh, the gift of that five yards and a first down, uh, K State may get held out of the end zone uh, against Baylor. So, the last four or the last eight quarters of K State season, they score uh, twenty seven points, and seven of which of those were, you know, you look retroactively back, and they were a bit of a gift. So, uh, K State's offense struggling in against Texas, especially. Not a good defense. Uh, gave up 50 to KU. Now, granted, that's in a few overtimes there. But uh, a defense that had not really been playing very well 
uh, over the uh, the last half of the season. Uh, for K-State to only score 17 points, even with a backup quarterback, uh, certainly disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just pathetic. It's so frustrating. You, you go back and you look at K-State's drives in the second half, and it's just, you know, first play out of the gate is Deuce run, Deuce fall and run for four yards. Pretty good. Uh, second play, passing complete. Third play, pass, passing complete. And we're punting. It's like, what? Do we, just do what's working. Just keep giving it to Deuce. There's no rule that says you have to throw a pass. There isn't. I, I've looked. There, there's nothing that says you have to actually pass, try something passing different. Passing wasn't working. They were playing. They were defending the pass pretty well. Maybe just keep giving it to the guy who's giving you, you know, who's probably pretty good for four to six yards a clip, and uh, do that until it stops working. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating because this K State offense, you know, they they have to kind of. It almost seems like they have to thread such a needle if they're going to score, you know, 35 points in a game, it seems like, because of the pace that they play at. And, you know, they, they've had explosive plays, though. It's not necessarily a lack of explosion or a lack of playmakers. I don't know if it's just the pace of play that they necessarily play at or what the case is, but it seems like they just ha- everything has to go right, it seems like, if they're going to be able to score, you know, 28, 30 points in a game. Well, part of that is the pace of play. I mean, I think K-State's one of the slowest teams in terms of, of time between plays when they're on offense. So, you know, that's there's a couple problems with that in its own right. Number one, you get a lot of disgruntled players, particularly wide receivers and, and who aren't. And you've seen players enter the portal over yeah. the last several years due, due maybe to the, uh, offensive philosophy disagreements. I think well, that would be fair to say. Yeah, just, you know, a guy like uh, Tyrone Howell this year who is one of – one of K-State's probably top four receivers on the season. But, you know, here's the thing, though. I mean, did he not watch K-State last year or the year before? Like, did he not know what he was signing up for? Well, he probably thought Skylar Thompson is going to be pretty darn good and this offense can work. But in terms of volume, it, it just wasn't there. I mean, Tyron Howell, uh, let's see how many. Seven catches. Seven receptions for 98 yards on the season. And Tyron Howell, I think, is... You could think back to some pretty big plays that that guy had. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I that catch he had against Texas Tech was yep. pretty impressive. And But, I mean, moving forward with this Courtney Messingham offense, which is fairly balanced in terms of uh, run pass, even though I think we shouldn't be balanced, at least not as much as we were on uh, against Baylor. But uh, we, we don't run very many plays, all that to say. And, and it upsets some of the skill position guys um yeah, and it, also like you said it it just doesn't end up in a lot of points because k-state doesn't have that many possessions i mean from a points per drive perspective k-state's okay um they, the offense is okay but they just don't get very many drives they they're they get 58 plays per game and most other teams in the conference are getting closer to 70 and that's potentially 12 more catches that guys have it's oh, yeah. more carries to go yeah. around and so um anyway you're that's that's why k-state doesn't score very many points but i was able to live with that if if messingham was calling games in a in a rational manner and was really being ultra efficient with the plays he did have but when you're running that few plays in a game yeah you're 
you're limiting opponents' possessions too, but your own margin for error is so slim. I mean, yeah. so when you have third quarters where K-State just isn't really doing much, like we saw against Baylor, like we saw against Texas, then all of a sudden the game is that much shorter and your other drives better be darn good. Yep. And, and you just leave yourself very little room for error. You put a ton of pressure on the defense. And, and you can win games like that if you're you're maximizing your opportunities. But against Baylor and Texas, K-State's offense just was so uninspired that it was we, we just couldn't win. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch and you're a fan. It is. And it also allows teams, you know, that, that – uh... Yeah, I think, you know, you go back to, like, that West Virginia game back in 2019, I guess it was. That's a game case that had no business losing. Mm-hmm. It, it, when you play that kind of style of game and, you know, if you aren't efficient with your possessions or if you have a couple turnovers, you let a team that you really should be able to handle with relative ease make this game a whole lot closer. And, you know, that's just one game that comes to mind where I felt like that was a little bit of the, of, of the situation there. But anyway... But, but no, that's a, that's a great point because theoretically, if you're playing at a talent disadvantage, if you think that you're the worst team, then you do want to limit position. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because there's slimmer margin for error for both teams. But against teams like West Virginia in 2019 and against teams like Texas in 2021, where in my opinion, K-State is Had the better, better than those teams. Yeah, absolutely. what are we limiting possessions for exactly? Like, what's the point? Don't we want to maximize possessions because we think we're... We think we're the better team. <laughs> the yeah. law of averages is going to win. Well, out and, and that's the thing too is like you're almost handicapping your own team just by like saying, oh well, we're not talented enough, or we're not, uh, you know, don't have the athletes, whatever the case might, whatever, however you want to phrase it, you're you're conceding a perceived disadvantage before the ball's even kicked off. Uh, also, too, why don't you just go out and recruit better players, huh? That's a thought. Yeah, I mean that Will Howard is the second best guy on our the second, second best, best quarterback on our team. No, is no, the second be, second the best backup quarterback in the country. I yeah, you're referencing Chris Kleiman's comments over the off season. That, yeah, um, that we had the best backup quarterback. In the yeah, country. he said it. I I think that was baloney. Uh, yeah, I think that's phony baloney, and then the coach speaker or whatever else you want to call it. But or but or wait a minute, is Chris Kleiman just outright lying to us? Is he? Does he think it's funny? Does he think it's cool? Potentially, but, but maybe. But that said, you're right. Maybe get some better players on offense. I mean, well, the Bucks, it's, the Bucks it's easier stops. said than done. But sure, I but mean. the but the buck stops with the offensive coordinator, and that our offense, whatever the circumstances that were, that our offense, you know, take Baylor. Bohannon goes down. They miss a beat. They, they don't miss a beat. And they have a backup. They have a true freshman quarterback. I believe he's a true freshman. Yeah. Who comes in and looks darn impressive. Polished, accurate with the ball. I mean, it's like, so Will Howard threw the ball, what, nine times? Or, yeah, nine. He, no, he threw the ball 13 times, yeah. completed nine of them against Texas. Uh, this, uh, this Shapen kid, uh, get, getting him pulled up here, Blake Shapen. How many times do you think he threw it against K State? I bet he threw about 15 times in the second half. He threw the ball 21 times in the in the game against K-State. Completed 16 of them. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of those were under serious pressure. I mean, he yeah. was making really much. He looked like... Training like, wheels are not on. No. He, he looked every bit as good as Skylar Thompson yeah. looked. It, it's Skylar Thompson's best. And so, um, 
And I think that's something. He was clearly the better quarterback on the field. There's all this talk, and it's from people that, you know, may may know more about the inner workings of what a Courtney Messingham offense uh, calls on their their quarterbacks and their wide receivers to do. And they say, you know, there's a lot of option, there's a lot of uh, reads that that both quarterbacks and wide receivers have to be on the same page. It's very option routed uh, passing game. And you know, maybe that's why that apparently the only quarterback that we have that can show any sort of resemblance of a of a threat passing the ball is the is the sixth year senior. <laughs> That's been in the system for three years. Well, you know what? This kid at, at Baylor, Chapin, first year. And he's out there and he's pl- playing an efficient quarterback. So maybe the system's too difficult uh, to learn. If if the caveat for the system to work is you have to have a sixth-year starting quarterback that's been in the system for three years now uh, to be able to, to make this offense have any sort of semblance of balance. If at its best... If, if at its best, when it has a six-year quarterback and an all-world running back, it it's pretty good, which is, I think, what K-State's offense achieved I this go, year. I want to go pretty good. I'd, I'd, I'd uh, go, I think in the middle of the year our offense was doing pretty I, good. I'd go, I'd go above average. Okay. <laughs> You're, we're getting a little bit into it. slicing the I wouldn't the say salami. pretty good. I'd say above average. Regardless. If, if it's, Slightly if above it's average. Pretty good. Uh above average, whatever you want to call it. If that's it at its best, and at its worst, it's what we saw in the second half at Texas, then maybe it's not a good, very good system. Yeah, I would agree. Because when Baylor, when S hit the fan for Baylor against K-State, and their Bohannon goes down, and they come it, in, and that would have That would have been devastating for K-State. The season would be over. I was thrilled. I thought, oh, well, Baylor's done. I said, this is something to keep an eye on here, folks. Is he going to be able to come back? And he was, he, he never... No, he never did. He never, never and why bother? And he, and he didn't play against Texas Tech the next week. Yeah. No. Um, and so I don't know. I that's that at that point I said, you know, the buck stops with with Mess and the offense. Just given what it's looked like over the last two years, there's there's no excuse for it to look that bad, especially with a guy who now has legitimate experience um, with Will Howard. And I know he's he's still pretty young, but this is a guy who's. He this started play a lot of essentially started a whole season. Yeah, and so there, there's just no excuse for it. And so, um, no, I yes to answer your question from 10, 15 minutes ago. Yeah, mess has to go. Um, Got to go. Yeah, and I it, it pains me to say that. And I think philosophically, if we can get a guy who wants to run the pro style, great because I like that system, and I think we're building an offensive line. That, that, you can't switch a system right now, right? Well, I mean. In one respect, it, I think we could basically do whatever we wanted. I mean, I think it, it'd be stupid to move away from a primarily Deuce Vaughn-focused offense at this point, especially given the question marks we have at quarterback in the next uh, year or two or three. Um, but, shoot, it, it's not like our system is built for any offense that has any passing attack right now. I mean, right now, with the way the quarterback and wide receiver rooms look, there's all talk about, I, I mean, I have no idea what we're going to be trotting out next year as as wide receivers. No idea. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have. There, there's been rumors of further transfers. I, I'm not going to begin to speculate on what that might mean. I, I, I don't know. My assumption would be that we see um, 
I, Keenan Garber and RJ Garcia a lot next year, uh, assuming they stick around. Maybe Shabazz Taylor sticks around. I, people act like Knowles is very questionable in terms well, of coming and, back. And Shabazz Taylor, I mean, coming off of a major knee surgery, you don't know exactly how he's going to be able to, to, to come back, what percentage he's going to even be able to play at. Uh, suffice to say, wide receiver – and that's something. That's a position group that can be, because uh, there are lots of wide receivers. You know, I'll, I'll say this: NCAA football fourteen. Okay. You get to you get to the end of the uh, of the recruiting cycle. There are always a ton of you know highly uh, regarded wide receivers that are just left unsigned. Yeah, there's a lot of wide receivers out there. Yeah, unfortunately, you need a lot of wide receivers on your team. Well, when you when that's you, the thing about like there's. That's the thing, like, with some of these offensive skill positions. It's really easy to fix a running back around, like, in a, like in a snap. We yeah. saw it in 2019. Yeah. Um, because you only really need, like, two. Two or three. Two, yeah, there's only going to be two primary backs for the most part. Yeah. Um, but you need to have five wide receivers that you can throw out on the field at any given time. Right. And if you don't have five, then, then it's a wasted spot. Yeah. And But what I was going to say is... The whole the point of my my comparison here with uh, with what you see in NCAA football, I think the portal is a place that K State can have some success finding wide receiver sure. guys because I just think that there's going to be plenty of opportunity just from a sheer numbers game. Now, well, hell, what, we added two okay ones yeah, last year. Yeah, but here's the other thing too: is who the hell wants to play in a system where you you might catch five balls in a season? Yeah, like. If I was a wide receiver and K State said, "Hey, man, how do you feel about coming playing wide receiver here at K State?" I'd say, "No way." I'd rather. I might as well go to Navy. I you may, well, yeah, maybe not quite Navy, but, <laughs> but not yeah, that far. But, but have you seen those naval uniforms though? I have the drip, bruh. They. I got three letters for you. I C Y, baby. Bro, that drip. Yeah. I. I. I might transfer to Navy right now. Yeah. You know, let's go I, to the academy. Let's baby. go to the academy. Go play for. Kenny in, you know, out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I from an from an offensive skill position, unless you're running back, like as, as a running back, yeah, this is a great offense to be featured in. You're going to run the ball, uh, uh, you know, a lot. From a wide receiver, no way. I'm not touching this. Yeah, and it's crazy because you know, I mean, <sighs> like philosophically, it's a it should be a, an offense where wide receivers, like. It, there's spots for like a couple really good wide receivers in an offense like this, where it's like, yeah, we're gonna run the ball a lot, but we're gonna throw play action fakes, and you're gonna catch it, and, and you're gonna have a chance to like hit, have big big time ball. Like philosophically, I mean, with Jonathan Beasley, we weren't going out there and throwing the ball forty times a game no. like you see in some of these offenses today. But Quincy Morgan was still a pretty prolific wide receiver yeah. because he was our option, and when he caught it, it was usually a big play. And it was very exciting and fun. And Quincy Morgan had a great career at K-State and a great NFL career. And put a button on, on that story. Yeah. Because, um, but he was still playing in a, in a very much option-based offense. A, a very much a, you know, Josh Scobie power. Yeah, running the ball. I formation, yep. two guys on the field. I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head who our third receiver was in 2000 but probably a guy like brandon clark or somebody 
Um, Maybe Martez Wesley catching yeah, a couple passes in '99 for sure. But I bet those guys didn't have much more than seven catches all season. And, um, but nonetheless, it's like okay, well, the third wide receiver wasn't that important because we had a we had a all world wide receiver who was making big plays, and we had a quarterback who could get the ball to him. Um, and that's the other part of of this uh, of the algebra here for a uh, for the wide receiver group. Who the hell's going to throw the ball next year? Because I'm sorry, it can't be 15. No, I I, I can't imagine. Um, Cannot be. It, there just doesn't seem a world. I mean, it would just be beyond the pale if we're sitting here next summer about ready to enter fall camp and it's the Will Howard experience here in 2022 after, after what we entered in 2020 and... Uh, for a few games in 2021 because yeah. I, I just, I just can't see a situation where that's, and that's scary. another thing that was so disappointing against Texas because I thought, you know, it, it was a, I felt in, in, in maybe I'm being overly tough here, but it, I don't think I am. I think I'm being very fair is I thought this was Will Howard's essentially the final exam. Like, I agree. No, like I, if he wanted to be back at K state next year, as I'm mean, not necessarily saying like they you know force him out, but if 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 you're, I, I almost kind of got the got the feeling that he was kind of playing for, you know, spot on the roster essentially, uh, or being said you know hey Will it might be best if you transfer you're kind of out of the plans here in case they from the quarterback position. Well, and I don't know how it shakes out in the coaching staff like among the room, but at least from a fan's perspective, it was like. All right, we had a rough go last year. You had a, an okay game against Nevada this year, a less than adequate game against Oklahoma State, but you've had some more time to sit behind Skyler throughout the bulk of this regular season, hopefully get better, hit the weight room, and, and really gain an understanding of this offense and find a chance to be comfortable and be confident. And against Texas, I really expected the training wheels to be off and for us to say, oh, but they this, had never this been on, is the they, guy. They had never been on tighter. Yeah, no, they haven't. And, you know, and hell if I know if they should come off or not. Because... Well, I would have at least liked to see it. Because... Well, he was... Th- we were throwing deep balls. They were... Yeah, we were. But, I mean, there's a little bit more than to, like, seeing how much a quarter... I mean, because, like, those... I mean, he, those deep post routes that he's throwing... Like, the chance that he's going to actually complete that are, like, literally may as well be next to him. <laughs> Yeah, they were also but terrible. like give give him a chance to throw something. But like also too, like you say, oh well, we did give him a chance. Well, he yeah, gave him a couple balls. The balls that he threw in the intermediate game, one was complete to Howell. I don't think he completed another one. It, like if you chart the passes, everything was within five yards. I think almost every one of his completions, except for that one to Howell, was within. Yeah. Five yards of the line of scrimmage. They were like bubble or behind, screens. Or behind the line of scrimmage. They were like bubble screens yeah. and Brooks. I mean, and so it it's it's clear to me that the coaches just have no real faith in him. And I think that if that being the case, there's probably a reason they don't have a whole lot of faith in him. True. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, you, you've got to you, you gotta at least make things easier on him. And I, and I think that's what they try to do with the bubble screen, that 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 essentially an extension of the run game action but man it was uh, it was tough to watch last uh, last week for the cats uh, on the offensive side of the ball so so, so no I, I i up to me we're operating under a new offensive coordinator next year 
And we're having somebody besides number 15 uh, slinging it around. Has to be. Has to be on both of them. Uh, I will say this. I would like to see a new offensive coordinator from uh, Courtney Messingham. However. Uh Uh-oh. However. What I will say is that if you give me – this is my second question to you. You get to pick one. That's not – you get to pick one. Messingham is gone, or Will Howard's not playing quarterback next year for K-State. Which one are you taking? Taking Will Howard. I think it has to be. I mean, because... That's where I'm at. That's the only thing I was going to say. Is like if, if we are able to bring in an experienced quarterback through the transfer portal, whatever the case is, or if Rubley, the light goes on for him and he's able to, to come in and be a, a viable option for us, I'll live with another year of mess, but I, I just can't see mess and Will Howard together for another year. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, just can't, I, I can't. I can't have that. Uh, that be the equation. I just can't imagine what system would work for Will, um, because you're squinting your eyes awful hard <laughs> to try to find an answer. There, I, 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 you look I, almost like you're in pain. I'm racking my brain for because. I the, think Saturday I think, is the closest thing that even comes close to a I functional think, offense. I think the 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 offensive system that Will Howard could handle right now is the 2010 Texas game plan. Yeah. Where we're throwing the ball four times or six times or whatever it is and giving it to Daniel Thomas. Giving it to Daniel Thomas letting, and letting Big Will run. Because he does like I will say like he does have I mean he has the size. He's got some speed. You saw it on the seventy-one yard He's touchdown. He's got right? straight lines. Yeah, that, that touchdown it, run he had. Skylar Thompson isn't getting to the end zone. Now. No, he's not. And he's a big cat to be moving like that. Yeah, he is, but he takes really long strides. Um, but the thing is, is I don't think he's a terrible athlete. And also, too, maybe he can play tight end. Possibly, Sammy Wheeler. But, but the thing is, is that yes, he's he's broken off some enormous runs a couple times in his career. Um, He's not a good option quarterback. No, no, he's not. He's and it's because, straight line. And because he's, there's a couple of reasons he's not a very good option quarterback. Number one, he's really bad at making the reads. We yeah, y- you could go back and watch this. How does how is he so bad at those? I don't know. But you saw it against Does Southern he not play Illinois. NCAA football? You saw it against Texas where uh, yeah. where he was making he was bad at making reads on the read options and bad at making reads on the traditional speed option. Um. So that's not good. You, if, you, if you're a running quarterback, and there's been be several quarterback, you, you got to be able to make the reads. Yeah. And finally, he's not dynamic enough um, in space. He's fast. He's he's a good straight, straight line, line runner. He is not Colin Klein. He no. is not near the power runner where Colin Klein can put his shoulder. Tell you what, down. we if if it's third and one in 2012, there's. We're not getting stopped at the line two times in a row. On that fourth down, on the last fourth down conversion where Will Howard runs the option, Colin Klein runs that option, and he's not pitching it. He's literally cutting that thing up at the first sight uh, of of any sort of... It's really just a zone... Yeah, like, it's just it's just a quarterback zone with like a an emergency valve that that can be that can be uh, released at the at a time if needed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's easy to say. Well, he's six four two thirty five. Just run the Colin Klein offense. Have him just yeah. smash into the line. Well, Colin Klein was. There, there's a reason that every tight end in the country isn't 
a quarterback running the Colin Klein offense because Colin Klein was more than just a bruiser. He just a body that would get grinded to guts. He was really good at what he did, and he was built for it and had the mindset yeah, for it absolutely. and the frame for it and all this stuff. And and I'm sorry, Will Howard, I I, I watched Colin Klein. I saw it with my own two eyes. And Will Howard is no Colin Klein. That's that um, is true. And so, you know, if if it comes to one or the other, I, I don't know that that changing offensive coordinators and keeping Will Howard at quarterback really does much to solve anything because I, I what do you do? Yeah. What what's the offense <laughs> that fixes I, it? I, I think Messingham's gets a a Definitely a failing grade here over the last two games. I think how I'd grade his offensive perform or how he's done as an offensive coordinator so far this year, I'm giving him like a solid like C minus, honestly, C to C minus. Yeah, including the last two games. I outside of the last two games, I'd give him a somewhere in the B range. But but shoot, when the offense straight up loses you two games in a row, one against a very bad defense, um, and the just incomprehensible game plan against Baylor where Deuce was just running so well. Uh yeah, I'm very I think C minus is very fair. Alright, well let's um let's get into uh a little portion uh, of the show where you're gonna get, get you're gonna tell us kind of the what's what here. Del tells? Del tells. Yeah. It's fi- fire away. Okay. Well uh yeah we're here in the Del Tells segment. There's been a lot of talk about um well there's a couple things Dell's going to tell. Number one, fire away. We're let's, t- let's talk offense coordinator. Let's yeah. talk the offense coordinator search because, folks, Courtney Messingham is out. He's done, and you heard it here first. It's official. He's gone. Um, now there's been some talk about. Well, maybe Matt Wells comes in. Yeah, maybe, his old buddy. Maybe Tim Paulsek, out the the old Iowa offensive line coach, who's now the offensive coordinator under Craig Bull. Up in Laramie, Wyoming. Yep. Um, and people are getting kind of jazzed about that. Man, I don't like either of those guys. I think they both stink. Like, for yeah. Like Tim Polisek, the Wyoming. Go look at Wyoming's offense this year. They scored three points against New Mexico. They scored three points against New Mexico. They scored fourteen points against Hawaii. Like, they hate him. Yeah, they're ready to. They, they would. They <laughs> would. Pa- they would pack his bags for He's, him. And so, what are we doing? Why are we going to scrape bottom of the barrel? Like the, some of the worst G five coaches in the country, like G five offensives in oh, the country, well, being like, let's it, let's it, poach that. Let's get that guy. Well, you want the answer? It's because Kleinman doesn't have much of a network. Yeah, because he's. He's the unless it's a Fargo Moorhead area code. He 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 does not save you in his phone number. Moorhead in, in his in his. Uh, Oh, big Joe. The Englishman. The, great Scott. Uh, <laughs> great Scott. What is he, Doc Brown? <laughs> sure, yeah. He's English. He's not an elderly man from the 50s. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that where that's from? I don't even know. Yeah, it's from Back to the Future. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great well, Scott. It sounds like something a British person would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I man, I don't think it's got that hard. Go find a Mac offense that did pretty well and take their guy. Well, but we've already kind of hamstrung ourselves with this power run game. But we don't necessarily have to be. A, I mean, there's other ways to feature Deuce Vaughn and, and utilize a good offensive line 
other than be this like slow plotting offense. I mean, there's look at like Oregon for instance. Yeah. Pretty. I mean, Joe Moorhead. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty dynamic run based offense. It's yeah, and they're and they're not the offensive line, and, and they're not overly like it's not quite the Oregon offense that you might remember from like no. a Chip Kelly or even the Mark Helfrich when he. You know, had things going with uh, Mariota. I mean, like their quarterback play is not very good at Oregon this year, and you know they were you know top five team for most of the country, or for most of the season. And you know, really, what I look at is you've got to find ways to to make the offense a little bit more player friendly. And what I mean by that is one, you're getting more players involved. I don't care necessarily so much about everyone being able to be happy and getting the getting as much of the balls they want and all that stuff. I don't really care about Go that. Go win games. For I the was, most part, a lot of these guys are fungible. But what I care about is not digging yourself such a, a hole. Because like, if Casey gets down by 10 points early on, I mean, you're starting to feel pretty concerned here that like this is going to, with the, with the pace of play that we play at, uh, you start to get a little worried that we're going to get squeezed out of this. Yeah, we better not punt anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's ways to get get around that without necessarily saying, oh, we're going to be throwing the ball 45 times. But I think K-State K- needs to look elsewhere outside of not just Courtney Messingham being the offensive coordinator, but they need to find some a different school of thoughts uh, of how they want to run offense. Do I expect that to happen? I certainly do not. No. Well, and, you know, so we, we talked a little bit about Polisek and how it's like, what? Are, why are we buzzing around bad G five offenses? If that's, and if to that's who they end up hiring, uh, that will I'll say it right now. If they end up hiring this Polisek, Tim Polisek, I believe it's Tim Polisek. If they end up hiring him as offensive coordinator, Kleiman will be out of a job in two years. It's certainly possible. You've um, heard it here first, folks. And Matt Wells, like Matt Wells, I'd be fine with. I get but, that he carries a little cachet because he was at head coach but yeah like we saw we watched the same texas tech k-state game didn't we yeah i think so and he's gonna think that guy who was in charge of henry christopher columbia is he's the guy we want running it you know i i i just don't get it i don't think matt wells is because the other thing too about matt wells and texas tech i i didn't get a chance to watch as much Texas Tech as I'd like to this season. But they seem like they started playing a whole lot better once he left. Yeah, a little. And, and that kind of makes me wonder. Just because of the Iowa State game. But it's like... Uh, they played Baylor tight? I mean, but like, I my whole thing with, with with Matt Wells is I think he I think he would be a significant upgrade over what we have. Do I think he's maybe the best offensive coordinator that we could get? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what what's possible out there in, in the market, but I would say he'd definitely be an upgrade over Messina. But he would most definitely be an upgrade over Polisek. I, I I'd rather have Mess and Polisek, and I'll, I'll go on record. Yeah, I, I would too. Uh, the, the and people are like, oh, Polisek is a great recruiter. Well, here's the thing: the offensive coordinator, to the extent the offensive coordinator can recruit well, great. Yeah, what I'm not. Bonus. But but the offensive coordinator's most important job is having an offense that scores more than three points against New Mexico. Yeah, I can't, and I know Wyoming is not very good anyway. But but they have been. But the the, the thing is, you you can't for me to say to get excited about 
bringing in a guy to run the offense that I think I looked at the advanced numbers like from your your S and P numbers. I think they had the hundredth offense in the country, about ninetieth or ninetieth so. or hundredth, whatever it was. And people are like, "Oh well, they before him they were like hundred seventh last year." It's like okay, <laughs> yeah. So Great. you went you went from being terrible to just being really bad. I mean, like I don't know really what you want and, to you know. To say there. And maybe it's possible that next year he'll get him to the seventies. And it, if that's the case, and it's like okay, you squint hard enough, you can I see can, it. I can. That's. But I, progress, I, I remember but, when K State hired a guy to be the headband that had about a 65th offense in the country. I, I'm old enough yeah, to remember days he, like he that. He coached the brick, man. He did coach. He did coach the brick. The brick first and Matt Schaub. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you remember, but I think DeBrick was like the number four. Oh yeah, by the Jets. Yeah. So when that, I was out on Long Island, I saw lots of uh, Ferguson jerseys just roaming around. Yeah. Oh, DeBrick. Out there in uh, out there in uh, Farmingdale, you know, I was out yeah. bouncing around out there, and then up in the up into Stony Brook, uh, out bouncing around up there, home of the Sea Wolves. I so I here's the thing. I don't think hiring an offensive coordinator is that hard. I think go like find the best offense in the Mountain West that runs the ball at least forty five percent of their plays, and get that guy. Yeah, and, and oh, go get to the Sun Belt. I, I don't care. Go find a G five guy who's making a, a buck fifty or something, and yeah, and, and, and double a salary, triple it. Like Mess is making like six hundred fifty grand. Like Jesus. maybe like, I'll, maybe I'll take it. Maybe I'll throw my hat there. Like it's it's we're a power five job. Our offense shouldn't look like it did on Saturday. And so, but for crying out loud, find somebody better than. Than the guy who put up three points against New Mexico and fourteen against Hawaii, like we shouldn't be hiring G five guys whose offenses are losing them games to like bottom of the barrel programs. And so, um, and Matt Wells, if the policy, I, I don't think we're getting Matt Wells. I don't either. I think, I, I think he's he's got his, his uh, a little sights higher. a little higher. Yeah, but my but out of the three of those guys, I mean, I guess yeah, Matt Wells is the best option. But I really don't think we need to be shooting that yeah, high. If it's Polisek, this is a this is a major black mark for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, black now, mark, red flag, whatever you want to say. It, now, if we can get that good. North Dakota State quarterback coach, sign me up, brother. Yeah, Randy Hedberg. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I think not getting him initially was a big deal. Yeah, I do too. Um, but anyway, so that that's one thing on Dell tells. I, I think. Yeah. I don't like the names that have been floated so far and rumored, and maybe just get a little simpler. Just go find a decent G five. And, and like, it's not like we can go out and get these guys. Like, we could go out and pay. Messingham's making six hundred thousand or whatever it is. Yeah, I think like six like, fifty. You could probably go even to like when I say G five level. Like, you could probably go find. And I'm just using this as a as a as a ballpark, but like, you know, what what's um, well here, here this is a really good, um, really good example. What was Graham Harrell making at at North Texas before he got hired at USC? Uh, couldn't have been making more than five hundred down there. I I think he's probably making closer to three fifty four. 
Now, a guy like that, an up-and-comer, he's yeah, probably... there's a little bit wait. of higher price tag. But he's probably going to wait until there's... I've got a name for you. What's that? The Major. He's out in South Alabama. You know who's down also at South Alabama? Who's that? Michael Smith. Ah. What, what, what kind of offense are they running down there at USA? One with 11 guys on the field? That's <laughs> about all I know. Yeah, I... But I'm a that's the name. But, I'm, but I haven't I'm not saying that, I'm not saying we should hire, hire Major Applewhite. But I'm saying you could find a guy like that 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 has. I mean, he coached at Houston. He was the head coach there just three or four years ago. Uh, you know, maybe see what uh see what the G five ranks have, and, and I think you could be surprised at what you'd be able to find. And I think you'd be able to find a whole lot better option that would be willing to come to Manhattan than Tim Polasek. Yeah. I, I completely agree, um, and that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on. So so maybe aim a little lower to get a little higher. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that would be my um, that would be my suggestion there. Uh, second segment of Dell tells. Let's talk about uh, a little bit of this coaching carousel icon. Crazy, um, crazy. I, I don't ever recall Lincoln Riley. I don't ever recall uh, such a a um, an absolutely. I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say absurd. And we're right in a. Yeah, I mean, it's just get getting, it's just getting started. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not even we haven't even played conference championships yet, and this thing is bananas already. Lincoln Riley heading to to the uh, the Coliseum to lead the men of Troy out there, uh, rumored to be at one of these ten year, hundred million dollar contracts, setting him up just in some absurd penthouse. Yeah, um, buy, buying him, paying all these. Crazy expensive. It's it's really getting gaudy out there. Um, and uh, I think it's I think the Lincoln Riley episode thing is terrific. I I love seeing Oklahoma fans feel that sting of betrayal that maybe some of the uh, rest of the Big Twelve conference members felt a little earlier uh, in this calendar year. I like that um, it was rumored that he was very against uh, the departure from the Big 12 for mm-hmm. Oklahoma. I like to imagine that that played a role in his decision. Oh, it absolutely did. Um, there's no question. Because he had kind of a good thing going. He was yeah, kind he, of the bell was, of the ball was, year in and year out. He was and, the biggest fish in what was a, I won't say the smallest pond, but he was definitely the biggest fish in the pond. I'll say that. And with Texas continuing to flounder uh, with their their football program, Hiring and firing coaches here on on a seemingly a three year basis. Yeah, he had it pretty darn good. Uh, with Texas being the only other program in in the in the Big Twelve that can that has the same infrastructure and you know all that stuff and proximity to talent uh, that maybe OU does. But uh, yeah, you know, it, pretty telling that he uh, he made the bolt and. Quite frankly, kind of the dead of night. Uh, all the talk was Lincoln Riley to LSU, and then in through the back door. Go west, young man. Comes the Trojan horse. That's right. That's right. Um, but I think it's great. If I hope, I think it's great for college football too. Yeah, I mean, there, there needs to be some balance of power out in the West um, beyond Oregon. And and you know, USC is a program when we were you know growing up watching college football. I mean. 
They've, always in the top ten. They've just been dead since Pete left. Yeah, and you know they've had you know they had a couple of nice years with uh, Clay Helton. Had a nice but it, season, but it never really felt like they were the USC of old. Uh, at least, uh, at least in my eyes, I think Lincoln Riley will certainly win out there, and uh, I think he won't have to wait too long before you're seeing uh, the men of Troy back in in uh, the top ten of college football. Yeah, and so I think that's great. If OU can go higher guy like Matt Campbell or something. Let's just keep on this carousel and uh, keep going because I am having a blast so far. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how any or all of this affects K-State and the Big 12. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's OU, bad things happening to OU just brightens my day. Absolutely. Uh, want to talk about Brian Kelly to LSU? Anything you want to mention there? <laughs> That's it. Strange, cold. It's a far cry from uh, Coach O. Yeah, it sure is. Now you know the um, the the thing too about uh, about um, with what you see from why would Ryan Kelly go to, to LSU? Well, the last three coaches that have coached at LSU have won a national title. Brian Kelly might possibly be the most accomplished coach in college football without that national title. I think he's able to, to get one at LSU. You, you start looking at him as one of the top five or ten college football coaches of all time. And uh, that's pretty rarefied air to be in. Uh, at LSU, he's going to have the option to or the ability to, uh, to coach the best players and not really have to leave about a tri-state area to go do that. Uh, you know, down there at LSU, he's going to be able to... Uh, I'm sorry, can you back up? You, you think he, he could be one of the best five or ten coaches of all time? Possibly. Brian Kelly? Yep. He hasn't won a national title. If he wins one. At, if he wins a couple, maybe at LSU. Yeah, if he wins. <laughs> all he has to do is go out and win multiple national championships. Well, even if he goes out and wins, wins one. He might find himself on a top ten list. Maybe. He's got over He's got over 300 wins. Yeah, but... Are, are, Coached at Notre Dame for a long time? Yeah. Had a lot of success there. You know, Notre Dame... Notre Dame. Notre Dame, they're... Uh, one of our buddies pointed this out. Their schedule over the last 10 years or so, during his tenure, hasn't quite been as steep as, uh, as a traditional Notre Dame schedule looks. Um, yeah, it beat Clemson last year. Yeah. But COVID year. Yeah. No, tra- no t- Trevor Lawrence. Um, Stanford being down over the last 10 years. USC being down over the last 10 years. Army-Navy, no real nothing really to speak of. They beat Oklahoma back in 2012, of course. Um but otherwise, it seems like, I mean, Michigan being kind of wishy-washy, wishy-washy, they're the traditional powers that find themselves Purdue. on Notre Dame's schedule. Uh, yeah, Purdue. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's I, fair. You're, you're right. He's gobbled up a lot of wins, but I think he's got to do more than go win a national title. At you know, do what Les Miles did, do at O did at LSU to be considered. Spiral Ham, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I, miss that guy. I, I, I think I think he's got a little bit of ground to make up if he goes out and wins multiple national championships over these next. You're five, not 10 you're years. not close to putting him in the top ten. Not right now. No. You think it's ridiculous to even consider that as a notion? If yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, I, I think that there's been a lot of coaches throughout college football that have won national championships. One of them is coaching up in Lincoln, Nebraska, right now, mind you. And um, gotta be fair. So I think he's right now. He's kind of at the 
not one of the uh, top hundred and how many years have they been crowning national champions? The hundred thirty or so. Sure. Um, and so no, I, I think that there's uh, quite a few people in ahead of him before he gets to uh, the top five or ten. But uh, certainly something to keep an eye on. But a stark cultural change uh, between Brian Kelly and uh, Ed O. But I think everyone's going to have a fun time watching it. it. We sure will. We sure will. Brian Kelly, 252 wins. It's a lot of wins. Only needs three to pass or three to tie Dr. Tom. Yeah. How about that? Dr. Tom had a few uh, natties to his name, though. So. Yeah. Um, that's of course one big difference. Uh, Icon, anything else on the coaching carousel before we get into this week's uh, Ask the Icon segment? No, Let, let's let's go. Let's get right into it. Let's hop I? right in. Well, we have two question askers this week in this week's segment of Ask the Icon, where listeners can, of course, ask questions to the short side options very own Chris the Icon Sork, uh, and he'll answer them right here on the show. And uh, I'll do it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'll do. Yeah. And the way people can do that um, is by submitting their questions to us on Twitter at the Twitter account at TSSO underscore podcast or using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or if you're sitting, if you're a student, a high school student, you're sitting in class, um, pass a note to your friend and maybe your friend happens to know who the icon is and he'll, he'll find a way to get it to him. Um, so any number of ways. Uh, regardless, this year regardlessly, our first question this week uh, is a pair of questions from at KSU underscore funny 33. Of course, long time listener, long time question asker at KSU underscore funny 33 asks first, Hey icon Messingham more like Messingham. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. hundred uh, percent. Second question is a little broader. Yes. Is K state as a whole broken? <laughs> wow. Pretty heavy question. There. <laughs> Is it broken? Um, no, no, I don't. Yeah, I think that's a little because dramatic. you know it, it's funny. You know the calendar, you know flips to December, and you know you have kind of a changing of the seasons, right? But you flip the calendar to December, and you you, you kind of maybe are starting to watch a little bit of K State basketball. And sure enough, Bruce Weber's got another really talented team out there, and they're playing some really good basketball. A big time win over Albany tonight. Nice little stretch of games here before. Uh, we kind of get into the late part of non-conference, but conference play for basketball season right around the corner. Bruce has another really good team. Yeah, this team is going to be wearing white in March, baby. No question. No question. No, this team this team will only be packing white to the NCAA tournament. How about that? Yeah. How about yeah, that? I like that a lot. You like that a lot. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, next question comes from listener Tyler H at TH8 underscore. It says, Icon. He fires away. Where are we going bowling? Sounds like, from what I've heard, we have told the Liberty Bowl we are not interested in traveling to Memphis. <laughs> really? Yeah. Good. We are not interested at all in going to Memphis, so don't even bother. Oh, man, poor Vernon Douglas. That guy's... Yeah, well, that's tough for him. Uh, yeah. But, it sounds like the two options, Texas Bowl down in Houston, where we'd play, uh, where we would be playing a team... Uh, from the Southeastern Conference uh, in that bowl game. Perhaps a team like Arkansas or Missouri. Perhaps a team like Auburn I've seen. I've seen Mississippi State 
Mock there. I've seen. Oh, Mike Leach. That'd be fun. Hey. Stand up for the Wildcats. He what they all say. Stand up for the Wildcats. Yeah. Um, but, and then, of course, uh, the Cheez-A Bowl, which is down in uh, beautiful beautiful Orlando, Florida. Uh, that would be another option. Uh, where, at that point, Casey would be most likely taking on a team from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Likely Clemson, maybe? Yeesh. That'd be fun. That'd be fun until I, the game started. Well, Clemson has shown signs of being beatable this year. Yeah, they have. I mean, it, it would certainly not be a... I a, think K-State at the top of their game this year could beat uh, yeah, Clemson they could. on an average day. Yeah, it would be fun, though, to see uh, K-State hook up against old BV. Yeah, well, if he's, if still, he's there. still there. Jinx. They, uh, BV has found himself, of course, in the rumor mill, uh, possible OU target. So, how about that? Although, uh, seen out recruiting in Hayes, Kansas. Hayes, America. Of, uh, don't know how much stock you want to put into that. wonder if you went into the Golden Ox. Very possible. What is... No, nah, never mind. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I was going to ask if Hayes was the Oasis, but... Uh, that's Colby. That's Colby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final question this week also comes from listener Tyler H. At TH8 underscore. Tyler asks... Icon. I always get Hayes and Colby mixed up when I think of the Oasis. I don't know um, what it is. Yeah, I mean, Hayes is... Hayes is really how I view it, is the gateway to Central Kansas. <laughs> St. Louis is the gateway to the West, but Hayes... Hayes America is the gr- gateway to Central Kansas. There you enter post-rock limestone country. Oh. And now you start... You start uh, you know, you start getting in. Post rock limestone country sounds like a really niche brand of like music. <laughs> perhaps well, it is. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be the one. I don't listen to music, but perhaps like, it already is. I liked the pre rock limestone country. Well, post rock's actually post rock's was <laughs> where I really prefer. Uh, but yeah, you've got you've got that there. Um, but you've got some really nice. Just so everyone knows. If you're looking at Kansas and you're looking at it on a map, everything west of Hayes, western Kansas, everything east of Hayes to Salina, central Kansas, Salina to the to the uh, Kansas-Missouri border, eastern Kansas. It's simple. That's yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, very simple actually. Um, Back to the Tyler H's yeah, final question. He fires away. He says hello. Yeah, he says hello here on the podcast. He says, Icon, who do you think the new K-State president will be? And will they want to bring their own AD in? Um, you know, listeners, by the time you listen to this, K-State may have already uh, announced a new president, as I understand that that uh, might be coming as early as tomorrow, um, as early as this week, or perhaps early next week. So depending on when this is gracing your ears, uh, this might be old news, but now we're going to the crystal ball. And, Del, and the icon is, is here to uh, give his prognostication. Dell, I got nothing for you on this. Your sources have been silent. My source, it, mum is the word. Tight-lipped. Dell, have you been hearing anything on this? Yeah. I've been here a lot. Yeah? They're going to make Bruce the president. That's the kind of visionary move that this university needs. I think that's a guy. He's very personable. Everybody loves him. He's damn damn good basketball coach. He's got uh, an incredible head of hair. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce as as university president, I love it. And I think it's. I think he might be president, AD, and basketball coach. If there's one guy that can do it, it's Bruce. It's a lot on his plate, but 
shoot, I trust him. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. So that's that's an interesting development that you're that you've been hearing. Yeah, that, I mean that's just what my sources are saying. I don't know if it, I don't know whether that's a certainty at this point, but my but I understand he's um, made it deep into the interview process and uh, is among the final contenders. Well, and, and obviously tonight. Uh, with K State, you know, rolling to purple in impressive fashion, seventy-one to forty-three. Uh, yeah, I think Bruce is going to get a long, hard look uh, by the Board of Regents uh, to say, you know, this is the guy that needs to be leading Kansas State into the next academic frontier. He's a winner. Um, I got a question for you. Yeah, fire away. Baylor, Oklahoma State. I'm going with the Pokes. Closer than the experts think. Now, is that going to be enough to uh, vault them into the you know, it's college funny. football playoff? It's funny. I really am interested in this. So, I've been kind of championing the idea that I think I think Oklahoma State, w- with a win against Baylor, absolutely should be in. They should jump Cincinnati. Thoughts on that? No. Resume's better. Hmm. I think uh, the zero in the loss column, you can't get by. You, you can't. No, the zero in the loss column and the win over Notre Dame. Um, I think that's enough. Uh, Wins over Oklahoma, Baylor twice now. That's three top twenty wins. Yeah, it's the, a better resume. Loss, it's a better resume. The loss to a seven win, uh, pretty mediocre team out of Ames. Uh, doesn't yep hasn't aged that's, the best. That's fair to say, but I think that their quality of uh, of a resume would be better than Cincinnati's. Now, however, I would love to see a situation where both Cincinnati and Oklahoma State get in. I think that'd be great for the sport, getting two new teams that haven't gotten a chance to get into the playoff. Uh, there's a very good chance that we might have uh, a playoff with three. I think at, at this point, it's almost a certainty that we have two teams in the playoff that have not been there previously. Yeah. If Michigan wins, they're uh, they're in. Mm-hmm. If uh, Alabama wins uh, against Georgia, now things start to get a little interesting. Yeah, uh, but lots of lots of stuff to take place between now and then. Uh, but I do like Oklahoma State in this game. What do you say, Dell? Um, boy, I, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think these are two pretty I evenly think... matched teams. I mean, and and similar styles of play that really predicated on. Running you know, the football and playing really stout defense. One thing I want to mention, watching Bedlam on, on Saturday, you know, and, and I've been watching Mike Gundy for, you know, gosh, almost 20 years now as the as the head coach of, of Oklahoma State, as hard as that is to believe. So I think it's, it's been about 15 years he's been in the conference. Yeah, I think so. Just, 15, 20. Yeah. yeah, so 15 years in the conference. He's gotten to be a very conservative play caller. Like, over the last, like, three or four years, like, He's painfully conservative now. Yeah, maybe that's just something that happens once once you get a little get bit little, grayer and the longer in the tooth, a little grayer in the. You hair. start to understand game flow a little bit better, or at least you think you do, and it, you start because we saw Snyder just get hyper invested in ball control and that sort of thing as, as he aged a little bit. Maybe the personnel called for it, but um, I think you know. Spurrier seems like he was the only one who maintained that kind of riverboat style. Yeah. Leach has certainly not gotten. From He's not gotten a whole lot shire. But he kicked. Did, have you ever heard the story about how he? Uh, they have this thing called the Air Raid Club, where they get 
together with all the disciples of the air raid offense over the off season. They you know just have a getaway for a weekend. No, but I love it. And well, they stopped inviting Dana Holgerson because he runs the ball too much. Oh, really? Yeah. He got ex- he, he said, "Yeah, no, Dana, he runs it too much. He's not he's not allowed to come in anymore." I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, Gundy, I guess is is tightening up a little bit. But also, I mean, I I kind of get it because Spencer Sanders is not that the most prolific passer in the world. No, he um, did not play well against Oklahoma, but was able to make the plays on really more with his feet. Yeah. Uh, in the second half of that game, I want to say this too, and this is a, I think a common theme in, in all three of the big games um, that, that feature, and even, even you can draw some parallels uh, for the, uh, for the Cincinnati and Houston game. But for the SEC championship game, the Big 12 championship game, and the Big 10 championship game, you've got Georgia going up against Alabama. Alabama is their nemesis. They cannot cross that hurdle. Whether mm-hmm. it's the 2012 SEC championship game that they needed to win to get to the, to the national title game, whether if it's uh, an SEC championship game uh, against Alabama – uh, preview or in, in, excuse me, not SEC, but at the national title game against Alabama, where uh, Georgia looks for all the world that they're going to roll to an easy victory, and then uh, Tua Tagovailoa enters enters the chat and uh, and, and uh, has the Crimson Tide roll back there. It's the one. It's the one nemesis they can't quite get over. Then you've got Michigan coming off the huge win against Ohio State. Yeah, they're one game away from getting into the playoff. Oklahoma State, possibly one game away, haven't beaten Oklahoma in forever. Two of their last sixteen games, they've they've won against them, or whatever it is. Each team has or is facing their final boss, and they're playing teams that are obviously you never count out Alabama, no matter what the circumstances. Iowa. About the worst team you can play, I think, coming off of a huge emotional win like that. Yeah, like y- y- you're thinking, okay, it's Iowa. We should be able. To, oh, we've gone three and out here the last couple possessions. Iowa's they're had six nothing on two field goals. Now, now we're playing from behind. Now, now this this Iowa defense is no joke. It's a vice grip. And same thing with Baylor. Physical defense, running the ball. Mm-hmm. Very much mirror images of teams. I'm. I can't wait for Saturday. I think, I think it's, it's gonna, gonna be. be a, it's gonna be yeah. one of the best uh, weeks uh, or weekends of football watching. It's gonna be tough to top last week, but uh, I, I think the uh, the schedule sets up for what could be a very memorable uh, championship Saturday. I agree. Well, Icon, any any parting thoughts beyond that? Uh, to share with our listeners prior to entering conference championship season and bowl season. No, but let's go ahead and give give picks on those games. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, I think I think I'm going to take Baylor in the upset. I think it's a big outright. Stage. Yeah, I think wow. it's a, I think it's a big stage for Oklahoma State. I think that Baylor's playing some pretty pretty good football, um, and that that uh, really all the attention throughout most of the last few months really has been on Oklahoma State because they only have one loss in the loss column. They had the big game in Bedlam coming up, and, and that's where everyone's focus was. But I think Baylor's a darn good team. They are and um, well coached. Yeah, and I think that. That rushing attack from them is really good. Now, we'll see how it fares against the best run defense in the league at Oklahoma State. 
but I think I think it's a really big stage for Oklahoma State. I'm not sure if Spencer Sanders is going to be ready for it. Um, he certainly, like you mentioned, didn't perform at his best against Oklahoma on another big stage. Um, so yeah, give me Baylor outright in that one. Um, otherwise, I'm uh, I'm going to take I'm eating shock in the other two. I'm taking Michigan and Georgia. Uh, Cincinnati get it done. Yes. Okay. I'm taking. I've given this a lot of thought. I'm taking Cincinnati. I'm taking Michigan. I'm taking Oklahoma State. I'm taking Alabama. Oh boy. Okay. I'm, ta- I'm taking the tide to roll. You uh, and then because you know why? Why is that icon? Just feels like it just feels like you know I said this last week against against Auburn in that game. Alabama is like a zombie. You got to make sure that the that the spike is driven through their heart, that they're on flames, that they're buried alive before you can count them out. If Auburn runs that ball and stays in bounds, game's over. I don't think you stick a stake in the heart of a zombie. Do you not? Is I it, think I, that's is it a, I it was, a vampire? Is it a vampire? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. It, what if it's a? I don't. I don't really do zombie. I don't believe in that stuff really. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, you have to make sure they're dead. I get. We get what you're saying. You see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That little. I think zombies are. I don't think you have to make sure a zombie's dead. I think they're, uh, they're already dead. Yeah. Is that how that works? Kind uh-huh. of. Low zombie IQ, folks. Sorry. When you've watched as many hours of tw- all twenty-two, I I, yeah. I don't have time for such. Trivial matters. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, anyway, you just crack the door. That That's slight. Alabama comes back and makes you pay. In this situation, you cannot find a time where Alabama enters a, a game like this with absolutely no pressure on them. Well, they, all the, pressure. They, they have pressure, but all the pressure's on Georgia. It, it feels like if Alabama wins, they're in. And so they, they have quite a bit of they. You might argue they have more pressure on them than Georgia. I do not think. I think all the pressure's on Georgia here. Maybe. But I think Alabama, to really the surprise of nobody, because you can't say, oh, I'm surprised that Alabama goes out and wins. But I think Georgia might be a little bit overrated. And I think that I think that Georgia defense is the real deal. All right. Well, hey, we'll have to uh, come back and break it down. So kind of the plan, we'll, uh, we'll be back on, on here uh, once K-State's uh, – Bowl game gets decided probably not the next week, but we'll be, uh, of course, previewing that action as we lead into it. I uh, want to thank, again, the folks at Manhattan Brewing Company uh, for sponsoring us and for uh, being able to be part of the show. It's been a great partnership, and uh, we look forward to continuing uh, that with them. Folks, that's going to do it all here for uh, the Icon and Delu. Delu, any final parting thoughts on your end? None on my end. All right, folks, that'll do it here for the, this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening. And go Cats.